Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. What's your opinion of it? What do you think about it when you think of the book of James? What do you think, Avery? I think you get some cool oneness verses out of it. Some cool oneness verses. What do you think? I think it's probably the most, in my opinion, the most practical down to earth with the Rose Beach Road book in the New Testament. Yes. Not the whole Bible. Any other thoughts on the book of James? He's short and to the point. Yes, he's very short and to the point. So, James, do you, who knows which James this is? Out of all the different James, which James is this? Does anybody know? Jesus' half-brother. Yes, it's Jesus' half-brother, and he's very practical. So, he became a leader in the Jerusalem church. Who was, who was the big leader? You always hear his name first. Blank. James and John, who? Peter. So after Peter leaves Jerusalem, James becomes the leader. So he becomes the pastor at the mother church in Jerusalem. And James may be the earliest New Testament book, the first one written. And they think that uh, it was written around 48 and that he was probably martyred in 62. Josephus, if you don't recognize that name, he's a famous Jewish historian. So that would just give him 14 years. So 14 years after this book was written, James was probably martyred. A little bit more about him. During Jesus' ministry, James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. When you say Messiah or Christ, Christos, you're talking about the anointed one, the one the Jews were waiting to come. That, That doesn't mean he didn't believe in his teaching. That doesn't really mean that he didn't believe in his miracles. He just did not believe that he was the one, the the Messiah. But he personally saw the resurrected Christ. You think that changed his mind? Mm -hmm. I think that got his attention. And he was in the upper room in Acts 2 when the Holy Ghost filled the believers. Mm -hmm. How many people were told to go to Jerusalem and Terry? How many were there? 120. So he had staying power, didn't he? He hung in there. And when the Apostle Peter left Jerusalem, James became viewed as the leader there. And we get that from Acts 12, 17. And then the Apostle Paul called James a pillar. He says he seems to be a pillar. Is a pillar important? Yes. Very structural, very much a support. I like what the Bible Project says. Who ever does anything with the Bible Project? You ever click on any of their little, um, they're, they're short and sweet and to the point, very concise. I like what they say. They say, after Peter moved on from Jerusalem to go start new churches, Jesus' half-brother James rose to prominence as the leader in the mother church in Jerusalem. It was made up mostly of Messianic or, or Christian Jews. So Jewish people, not the Gentiles. This was the first Christian community ever. Do you think they need a lot of instruction? Absolutely. They've converted over. There was a famine that led to great poverty in the region. So they've got major change and then major obstacles that they're facing. But through it all, James was known as a pillar of the Jerusalem church. He was also known as a peacemaker who led with wisdom and courage, and he was tragically murdered. He was martyred. So the recipients, it was written to the Jewish Christians, and he says the 12 tribes that were scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution, so they're going out. So what do you think is happening behind the scenes as they're going out? What do you think about that? People that are filled with the Holy Ghost are being scattered. So what's going out into the world? The gospel. But what are they coming up against? The world system. that always been together, you know, in the temple. So now they're going to have 
major obstacles with the world, aren't they? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the world system that's opposed. So they're going to they're gonna have some trials. They're going to come up against some things. So James' wisdom has been heavily influenced by two sources. The first, what do you think one of them might be? Jesus' teachings about life in the kingdom, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which is constantly echoing and quoting in this book. So if you look for it, look at the Sermon on the Mount, you come read the book of James. It only takes about 15 minutes to read the book of James. You'll see that there's some similarity. But there's an Old Testament book, the Biblical Wisdom Book of Proverbs. Wisdom, understanding, Knowledge. You know how that Proverbs are talking about that? Get wisdom. Get understanding. Get knowledge. You'll hear a lot of that in this book too. So James literally grew up with Jesus and with the book of Proverbs. And now you're hearing this teaching. It's coming through. James is calling the Messianic community to become truly wise to live after Jesus' teaching. And what would sum up Jesus' teaching? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hear we're gonna get that. So let's jump into the first six verses. Who likes to read? I can. Right. <clears throat> all right. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brother encountered all joy when he fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work in patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So, he's going to teach about overcoming temptation right from the start. That's how he's starting his lesson. Four things he says to do. Count it all joy. What's the attitude to have in a trial? Joy. Look at it. <laughs> Count it all joy. Keep your joy. You can't lose your joy, can you? We've got to have joy. So that's attitude, isn't it? That's your attitude. So what's my attitude supposed to be, Philip, in a trial? Joy. And then we've got to know some stuff. Remember? Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. What do we have to know when we're in a trial? Look at those verses. Knowing that's how you grow. What? Knowing that that is how you grow. Yes, knowing. This, I, I grow goods coming out of this. Very good. Knowing. So we've got to count it. We've got to have that attitude. And then we've got to have knowledge. My people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. knowledge. And then we've got to let or allow a process to go in us. What is that process? Patience. Let, allow patience to accomplish her perfect work in you. Why? So you can be whole. You ever feel broken? Sure. You ever feel fallen? Mm -hmm. So you can be whole. And then ask for heavenly wisdom in faith when needed. So remember that. Count your attitude, joy. Know it's working for your good. Let patience accomplish that work in you so that you will lack nothing. And ask for heavenly wisdom in faith when needed. Remember that God has good gifts from above to give us. Why do you think that's put right here? Because what will we do in our fallen nature? Blame God. Why are you letting me go through this? I just studied 100 hours to teach the book of James. Why? You know, we can just come up with all kinds of stupid arguments, can't we? And reasonings, and I must have done this, and this is why this is happening. No, i got to remember that God is for me and has good things. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. 
Would the devil convince them? God's holding out on you. When God had nothing but good for them, they could treat of, eat of every tree of the garden. It was all pleasant, and the devil came and confused them and deceived them. So hard times are like a washing machine. They twist, turn, and knock us around, but in the end we come out better, cleaner, brighter than ever before. Just think of us, we're like that old stinky laundry. Bruce can get dirty. He's been, he's been washing a deck, and he put his laundry in with mine, and I was like, yuck, <laughs> yuck, <laughs> extra soak. <laughs> so, but it's working for our good. How do you look back on the hard times you've gone through? I want you to stop and just consider it. Just think of one or two. How do you recount them? Did they harden you or did they make you better? Did you draw closer to God and seek his help while in the trial? Or did your heart grow distant and hard toward him? Think about those trials. If we are wise, we will have insight into how our trials are working for our good. Do you know that one definition I've read of wisdom is skill in war? Skill in war. Wisdom. We're wise. What the adversary would do. We're wise. So the key to finding joy in adversity is where we place our focus. What are we focusing on? Are we focusing on the problem? Are we focusing on the pain? If we concentrate on our circumstances, we will become disheartened and discouraged. And if we talk to the wrong people about it, we better be very careful. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we learn to rejoice in our difficulties because God has promised to work through them to strengthen our faith bring us into closer fellowship with himself, and teach us endurance. So who's a really good biblical character that did this in the Old Testament that really in his hard times drew nigh to God? David. David. A man after God's own heart. Mighty in battle. Mighty in battle. So trial or temptation same Greek word. Same Greek word. But the word trial carries the idea of a test that proves the quality of something. The trial of your faith is more precious than gold. It's going to prove that you have faith, that you have hope in God. But the word temptation conveys the nuance of the solicitation to evil, inviting you to do evil. What's the difference? One is to prove something, and one's trying to get you to sin against God. So if God never tempts us to do evil, how do our trials turn into temptations? Let's think about that. Trials only turn into temptations when they come upon ungodly desire lurking within us. That fallen man, that fallen nature. Are we supposed to kill it every day? Trials only turn into temptations when they come upon ungodly desire. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life, all that's in the world. If we're a friend of the world, we're a what? Enemy of God. Abraham's the friend of God. He's coming out of Babylon, out of the world, looking for the things of God, believing in the promises of God. So let's consider, for example, a financial crisis. God might want to use it to test and grow your faith in his provision. Look at my Philip. He hadn't missed a beat. He's not missed anything. He's not bitter. He's not mad. He's going through this hard trial. Look at him. He's bringing glory. He's producing fruit. Or if he's not, he's giving the devil. I don't quite think you would call it glory. What would you call that? His doom. Yeah. You know, so we want to make sure that we are producing fruit, that the Word of God is in us, the seed, and it's bringing about love, joy, peace, uh, 
gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, meekness, temperance, and faith. Long-suffering is another one. That in our trials, that word's there. That seed's there, and it's producing that fruit. So I was using Philip for, uh, as an example of somebody good. If, if I'm just even just saying, if it happened to him, God could look on him, and don't you think he would smile? Wouldn't you love it if your kid was learning to be wise? And if you looked at your child and he was, he was getting it, and you would say, oh, that's from God. God's doing a work in him. God did that. No man can do that. But the enemy will try to use that trial to tempt you to succumb to bitterness, envy, or lying. <laughs> are lying about your financial circumstances. So look at Philip. He's not, he's not doing. He's he's in a financial crisis. He's he's not. He's coming late for a Bible quizing. He's really mad at God. He's not reading his scriptures. He's not. See how you can you can have two different things going through the same. The, I don't feel like I'm getting my point across. Can somebody help me get my point across? Mm -hmm. Who knows what I mean because I don't. <laughs> it's whatever you choose. It's, it's you, whatever you choose, you choose the way you want to, what attitude you want. Whatever you want to believe, isn't it? It is. So do you understand how that something is that's just supposed to prove your faith can turn into an absolute temptation? Because you can be ashamed about it. And you can have pride and you can try to hide it instead of knowing God's using this for my good. And he's probably going to use it down the road because instead of being super prideful about money and how to handle money, I'm going to know if not for the grace of God, you know, I would have nothing. So you see how, how he's working? He's built. I'm sorry, Bailey, if I turned away from you. I got you. Thank you. Um, so from the six verses that we have read what are some of the good things that God has for us what do you see from the first six verses <laughs> name something good God's got for us wisdom absolutely understanding no it's working for your good that would be wisdom too I think wisdom understanding knowledge those are like the, a package to me you know because of the way they use he's got wholeness he's got a process that leads to wholeness is that a good thing and he has access to God through faith and prayer these good things so James opens by saying that he knows from personal experience that life is hard he was martyred not only long after writing this, and he believes that life's trials and hardships are actually paradoxical gifts. Say gifts. Yes. That can produce endurance and shape our character. Think about lifting weights. Have you ever done it? And have you ever gotten to where you could lift heavier weights? You've never done it? I've done it. And I've done it where... Um, where like you'll lift five and then you'll lift 10 and then you'll lift 15 and then you go back down and you really do get stronger. Like you get to where you can hold up under so much more weight. Well, that's, that, that is what a trial is. It's being able to bear the weight. Do you think pastor has to be able to bear some weight? Mm -hmm. Do you think that people that hold positions in this church have to be able to endure and keep going. Look at Bradley and Andrea. They just got back with their little son. Have they have they stopped or have they had to have faith? And they've had a lot of support, they've had a lot of love, they've had a lot of prayer. But we're gonna go through some things. Look at Paul's life. Look at David's life. Look at Abraham's life. We all have things to go through. We come here every week and we get the joy of the Lord, and we encourage one another, and we're up dancing and bringing glory and honor to the Lord, and uh, singing that there's no power greater than the Lord. There's no mountain that He can't move in the face of our trials, and we build our faith, and we love on one another and encourage one another. God set it up, didn't He? Forsake not the assembling together. 
So we're doing these things and we're continuing. But what if we're going through a trial and we don't know, ask, and understand and we just back off? Or we just come with a meeting me attitude? Well, Sister Susie's blessed over there. She doesn't need anything. She's got this or that. Is that our attitude? No. Because our eyes are set higher than that, aren't they? Our eyes are set on, on God and on heaven. He's going to talk about the poor and the rich. And the poor are to rejoice, to joy that they have been exalted. They have great faith and they're an heir to the kingdom. And that the rich are made low. And that their riches will fade away. So the system of the world, what would cause the world to shout, what would cause the world to glory, is not the kingdom of God. It's not the same system. The word perfect, he repeats it seven times. And it refers to wholeness, lacking nothing, being perfect, being complete. It means living a completely integrated life where your actions are always consistent with the values and beliefs that you've received from Jesus. James knows that most of us are actually fractured people with big inconsistencies in our character. And we're all more compromised than we'd like to admit. God is on a mission to restore us. And he does it with these trials. The trial of our faith. The patience and the endurance that we are to have. So think of wisdom as the ability to see hardships through a different perspective. Say the ability. The ability. To see hardships, to see hardships through, a different perspective. through a different perspective. Okay, James is going to use a lot of similes and metaphors when he is going. What you doing? Okay, he's taking that away from me. I wasn't doing my job. <laughs> Our roles have reversed, Philip. Um, but let him ask, he didn't, but let him ask in faith when we're asking for wisdom, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So he's wanting you to, and they live by the sea, don't they? They had the Mediterranean, the different things. So they were, they were very familiar with the sea, and it, it went up all the way around. So that was a really good uh, comparison for him to give. Just look at that wave crashing. And that brings to my mind the wise man builds his house upon the rock. The one that hears the word of God and does the word of God. Builds their life according to its teaching. And so James doesn't want us to be fractured. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to understand. And he knows what they're going to be up against. For, so if we doubt when we're asking for these good things from heaven, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I like to tell this. I've told it before. Bruce uh, had a dream one night, and he knew it was a spiritual dream, and it kind of shook him up. And uh, I can tell you, you don't shake Bruce up easy. I mean, he's crazy. Nothing shakes him up. You know, he, he's, he's, I've seen him do some pretty crazy things and they've not bothered him one bit. I've seen him go into jail with just huge bad guys and he goes in there like an innocent little mink lamb and preaches God to him and they're crying. You know, I've seen him do some really neat things. But anyway, I could tell the stream shook him up, you know, and I knew that God was speaking to him. And in the dream, he said he was on a very, very high wall. And he said everything was shaking. Everything was moving. And everything was shaking. And he said he could see water down below. And then there was also a lower wall. And he said it shook too. It crashed. And so I said, gosh, I hope I wasn't at that lower wall. I hope that wasn't me in the dream. But I think the Lord revealed the meaning of that. 
reading to me, and I told him, and I think he received it, and it was some time later. One was in the flesh, and one was walking in spirit on the high wall, walking in the ways of God. It's not going to crash. It's not going to come down, but it's going to be shaking, isn't it? It's going to be shaking. So this word, doubt, it means more than what we think about when we think about doubt. It means a divided allegiance. Say that. Divided allegiance. In our heart, we cannot have a divided allegiance, an uncertainty. A person, and James is the only one that uses this person with two minds, double-minded. He uses it in James 1.8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And he's going to use it in James 4.8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So God wants all of us. We're in this world, but we're not what? Of this world. Of this world. And we're going to, Sister Ellen's going to talk to us tonight about being born of God, being born of the Word. And the second part, so we can't be double-minded. And we can't have doubt, and we can't flounder. Go to the next one, please. So double-minded is literally two souls. If one part of a person is set on God and the other is set on the world, that there, there will be constant conflict. So which are you? When we're coming, we're examining ourselves with this word. Are we double-minded? Double-minded? Do we have a desire for the things of God, but we're conflicted? Well, I want to make a name for myself. Well, I want to be prideful and, and be real happy uh, um, about all of my accomplishments and the things the world says are important. Are we double-minded there? Are we single-minded in one's desire for the things of God? That's too big, though, because there's three. There's, there's one more that's not on here. Uh, for some reason, it's not coming through right. Okay, are we unstable in all of our ways? Are we like the wise man who hears and does the things, the teachings of Christ? And then the third one, you can't see clearly. Are we receiving nothing from the Lord, getting nowhere, not growing, and becoming a mature fruit producer? Or are we receiving good gifts, including wisdom from the Lord, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, growing in grace and knowledge of Him? Asking for God for these good things that last forever and asking in faith. So what, when you look at Jesus' life, what was his worldview? You know, people like to talk about worldview, biblical worldview, or how do you look at the world? What was Jesus' worldview? Where does your mind go when you think about that? Mm, any kind of like a Jewish worldview because he was raised in Jewish culture. Yes, he was definitely raised in Anything else? Kingdom-minded. He was definitely kingdom-minded. He was all about love. All about love. Love. He was definitely all about love. So that was the greatest gift that ever came to us from heaven. God's got good gifts that come from heaven for us. And he, for God so loved that he gave. And he came down here. He humbled himself. He robed himself in flesh. God among us. Emmanuel. God with us. And I want to tell you what his mindset was. You can find it in Philippians 2. Let this mind... Wait, let me start here. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. That's the world. Constantly arguing. Constantly wanting the glory for things. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. How am I supposed to think about Sister Ellen? Better than myself. But the world doesn't do that. The world can walk into a room and unconsciously just size one another up. We're supposed to esteem each other better. That's what he says. Look, not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. Is he doing that? Yes, he's coming to give his life to save our souls. 
Let this mind say let. let. Didn't we see that in the first six verses? We're in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. The world system is all about making a name for yourself. And it's all going to fade away. And took on upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And we know the rest of it. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. So our life in this world is not of the world system. It's humble. It's serving. It's loving. It's respecting. Deeply respecting. And I see less and less and less of that in this world. And he goes on in Philippians to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So back to trouble-minded and being unstable. And then him saying, draw nigh to God, get clean, purify your heart, don't have a double mind. And James writes that this doubting person is like a wave of the sea blown, tossed, the man should not think he will receive anything of the Lord. He's got good things, but you won't receive them if you're not in it all the way. Don't you want stability? Don't you hate instability? Don't you hate floundering and never getting anywhere? God's got a very clear path for us to be on. We can read Hebrews 11 of those that found it those faithful that overcame great obstacles obstacles because they set their mind on the things of God. Jesus declared, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Why? Because there's you can't love both. Which one will you love? God and the things of this world are of such opposite natures that it is impossible to love either one completely without hating the other. Those who try to love both will become unstable in all their ways. If someone struggles with being double-minded, he or she should read, study, memorize the word, for it is the word that produces faith. And he or she should pray for faith. God's got it for us. It's a good thing. Increase our faith, Lord. So, does a biblical worldview matter? Does it matter? It's important. Absolutely. Beware. The world offers its own counsel and its own answers, doesn't it? Colossians 2.8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. They're going out into this world. They have the Holy Ghost. They have the teaching. And now they have the book of James. And they're going. Romans 12.2, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. What renews our mind? The word. What washes us? The word. the word. That you may prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect word of God. And then we all know what First John, what's First John say? Love not the world, neither the if any man love the world, what's not in him? The love of the Father for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father. It's of the world. And then get this. This is wisdom. This is good judgment. The world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
So if we don't really believe this truth and buy into it with everything, say sell everything and buy the field. Buy me some pearl of great price. I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. I can't, I can't just put six over here and six in the world. If we really don't believe in it and commit ourselves, then our witness will be confusing and misleading. If we go to work like this because we're going through a trial and we're struggling, are we a witness for God? If we go in humming a little tune and thinking of others better than ourselves and checking on everybody, they'll say something's different about them. They're not real. They're fake. <laughs> but after they turn around day after day after day, they'll say they're different. Something's different about them. Where are you getting this joy? When you love them, they'll tell you their problems. When you pray for them, hey, do you, can I pray for you? Would you let me pray for you about that? They, they will welcome it. I don't ever know that anybody's ever told me I couldn't pray for them. I think maybe one person. But not like... trusting God's truth, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. In every area of our lives, we can begin to develop a deep, comprehensive faith that will stand against, say, the unrelenting tide of our culture's non-biblical ideas. Sister Ellen, I went over. It is time for our wonderful Sister Ellen to come and... I want to tell you what a joy she has been to study with. We have learned so much. And Sister Ellen, you got all night. You go as long as you want. <laughs> so we'll go to the first sheet. It says at the top, what does uh, James chapter 1 say about God? And we've got some fill-ins. Um, so if you guys, I'll, I'll read and you can tell me what the fill-in. Every... Good gift and every gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom no, is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So all things that come from God are good and perfect. Um, his fellowship, his word, his spirit that lives within us, the direction he gives us, his love, they're all good and perfect. When we cultivate a true relationship with him, it will lead us to righteousness. Um, number one, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. So he's waiting for us to ask him, what, what, do I, what can I do about this problem, God? Can you help me with this? And he's not unkind. He won't make us feel bad about asking. He's there with open arms, um, loving us, and just encouraging us and giving as much as we need, as much wisdom as we need. Number two, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So he promises us a crown of life, which means that we will live in eternity with him forever. I can't think of a better place to be than with him. Um, loving him includes having an abiding love of truth, a dedication to the truth, um, dying to ourselves daily, asking him to cleanse our hearts, following his lead in our life. Those are just some. So um, we've got to have a deeply personal walk with him. We need to love what he loves and hate what he hates and to have his nature inside of us. Um, letter B. God cannot. cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we know he's pure and holy. There's nothing evil about him. He wouldn't be involved with evil in any way. 
and he'll never tempt us with it, but he will provide a way to get through the temptation. Yes. And that's, that's such a blessing. You know, we can depend on him for that. Temptation comes out of our own hearts. Our hearts are desperately wicked, the Bible says that, and we need his cleansing touch. Number two, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when the lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So if we don't check ourselves, we can fall into temptation, we can we be drawn away by the evil desires in our own hearts, and that will lead to sin, and then that leads to death, spiritual death, which is separation from God, just like Adam and Eve learned in the garden. So we have to we have to watch for that. And he's there to help us. No matter what's going on, he's always there. Absolutely. On the next page, letter C, of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We are born of the word, and therefore we must be careful with our words. Very, very important. We can kill or we can support. We can speak life, we can speak death. We can do so many things with our words that would be terrible for people. And on the other hand, we can build them up. We can show love. We can do a lot of good things. It's our choice. Number one, wherefore, my beloved brethren, every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We need to ingest this precious direction. We need to have it deep inside of us. Um, a good idea would be listen twice as much as you speak. Um, be cautious when you're speaking in response to a difficult situation. It can be really easy to just let something fly that wouldn't be good. We cannot honor God by losing our temper or using critical words about or toward others. We, we need to honor God and hold our tongue. Number two, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. We must consistently ask God to bring any double-mindedness that we may have into a single-minded purpose that he has for us. And he can help us to do that, too. Yes, I want that, God. Amen. We must consistently have a repentant heart daily, hourly, by the minute. Sometimes it's so easy to get away from ourselves, right? Yeah. Anybody I know yeah. can be for me. <laughs> All it takes. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says that. And so it must be clean. Our heart must be clean. If we receive his word with a genuine desire to be like him, and we work at it, it's going to save our souls, and we'll make it to heaven. Beautiful. Number three, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So when we hear the word, we need to compare ourselves to it and then take action to help us to line up with what God is. If we hear it and we go on our way and forget about it, then we're deceiving ourselves. We think we're all right, but we're not. We've got to study the image of God and compare it to ourselves and do what we need to do to align ourselves with him. We must do what is necessary to change and be more like Jesus. 
This is why we need preaching, teaching, reading and studying the word. They're vital to us to be a Christian. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. As we grow in Jesus, we're expected to do his work here on the earth. That's part of our responsibility. And as we do this kingdom work, we will be blessed. It's a promise. Yes. We can lean on that promise. Yes. C, the third page. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. If we claim to be a Christian, we must control our tongue. We've got to do it. Think about how Jesus spoke and treated people when he was here on the earth. We should exhibit kindness, respect, and love to all people, yes. just like him. If we treat people badly, it's a poor reflection of who we say we are, and it does not bring glory to God. And therefore, all our effort is in vain. It's, it's nothing. We are demonstrating pure Christianity when we are caring for the helpless, the orphans and the widows, who are close to Jesus' heart. We also are demonstrating pure Christianity by keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. Spots refer to leprosy and sin. And if we don't examine ourselves and ask for God's help, we will die spiritually and miss heaven. It's a continuous process. We are a work in progress daily. And let's go to the class discussion questions. Number one, what are some of the good and perfect gifts God wants to give us? Peace. 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 Revelation. Good. Wisdom for every choice that we make in life. Joy. Joy. The Holy Ghost. The Holy Staying Ghost. Staying full of it. Finding righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Absolutely. Healing, wholeness. Yeah. All those things. Yeah, that perfect. All good things for us. Yes. Number two. What are the processes that lead to death and life? Let's start with death. Lust. When lust right. is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Okay, very good. Lust comes in many forms. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, desiring possessions, power, money, wanting vengeance against someone. These are all things that can lead us down the wrong path. Yes. And as Jill said, we, the lust is conceived in our hearts and turns to sin, and then that turns into death. When we find ourselves here, we must confess to him and ask him for the battle plan, because he will teach us how to fight and get the victory over our situation. Absolutely. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. Mm -hmm. We can stand on that. Yes. Right. And so the process leading to life is... Anybody? The doer of the word. Receive the word, engrafted word, which is able Receive to. Very good. Mm -hmm. Save your souls. It all begins with love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So there's one of the, one thing that we can do. And he says, we're begotten of the word. Right. And so that those are the two things, the crown of life to those that overcome this world system. Absolutely. And we can ask him for that love. If we don't have the love of all the things of God, all we need to do is ask. Ask him, ask him to help us love him and love the word and praying and living for him. Yeah, it's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy by Ghost. By the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yes. Okay, number three. 
What is true religion and undefiled before God? Yes. And keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. Yep. Very good. You guys were listening. <laughs> we like that, don't we, Sister Jill? Yes, they're a wonderful class. Number four. What does it mean to be unspotted from the world? What would be some examples? The worldview, the Christian worldview and mindset. The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ? Mm-hmm. Being washed in the word, maybe? Would that yeah. Be yeah. Not not going after the things of the world mm-hmm. world, going after the things, the good gifts in the word. Okay. Keeping the attitudes of God. Might that be one? Loving the word and desiring to please him. Absolutely. In the depths of our heart, we need to always have that. Humbling ourselves, preferring others before ourselves. That doesn't come naturally, especially when there are some people that might not be so lovable. Ever see any? (laughs) They pop up all over the place, sometimes at the most inopportune times. Following the commandments. That's another way. And just to review, I love that quote that Sister Jill had. Um, There is nothing joyful about trials in and of themselves. The key to finding joy in adversity is where we place our focus. If we concentrate on our circumstances, we will become disheartened and discouraged. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we learn to rejoice in our difficulties because God has promised to work through them to strengthen our faith, bring us closer into closer fellowship with Him, and teach us the grace.